1: Hello, Chris Evans here. This is the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up on this one, the all-singing and dancing Strictly Judge Craig Revel Horwood looks ahead to his debut solo show, All Balls and Glitter Darling. Legendary guitarist Johnny Marr dives into his incredible career and brand-new double album, Best Yet, some people are saying, Fever Dreams, parts one to four. Then there's Blinding Britain, Peaky Blinders star Joe Cole spilling the beans on the brand-new ITV spy thriller, The Ipcris File. And actual astronaut Tim Peake takes us on a journey out of this world with his first children's book, Swarm Rising. All of that and so much more to come. So Dapper Day, who's first?
2: He's the unfiltered, strictly superstar you all know and love, and now you get to see him in the flesh. The All Balls and Glitter Tour kicks off later this month, and here to tell us exactly what to expect as he drags his large, glittery balls around the UK is the masterful Craig Revel Hallward! All
3: right, good morning, <laughs> naughty! Good morning. How are we? You're all in very good and high spirits, I hear. Well, you
1: have to be. What's the alternative, Craig, you know?
3: I agree. And that's why I'm going out on the road, darling. Yes. To cheer a few people up. Come
1: on! That's it, that's it. All right, so this is a one-man show. You are... I, I imagine... You will be um, um, concerned uh, as far as, you know, you'll be conscientious to give this, this the golden content it deserves. But you are fearless on stage because on stage is sort of where you've lived all your life.
3: Well, yeah, that is so true. I, did, I was in musical theatre for many, many years. And, of course, I'm very uh, used to going on stage and performing. And I sort of gave that up, really, once I started holding paddles from one to four, darling. So I've decided to go back out and uh, do it. And I'm putting my life story, basically, on stage. It's a little bit like Desert Island Discs, but I'm singing my own songs. And uh, and it's, I guess singing the soundtrack to my life, darling, and all the jobs I've done before. And um, obviously, uh, some backstage gossip from Strictly, all of that stuff. It's going to be really good fun. All oh, right, wait. so
1: take us through the shape of it. So they're the component parts of it, which already sound yeah. deli- delicious, I have to well, say.
3: Yeah, well, Act One is sort of about me growing up in Australia and then uh, all the music of my life up until the point where I got Strictly. And then Act Two is all the Strictly stuff, which would be good fun. And uh, I'm singing things like uh, from musicals like Cats and Miss Saigon. I'm singing a Whitney Houston number, darling, which will be a bit of a challenge. (laughs) But it's all going to be really good fun and all light-spirited, light-hearted, a bit of comedy in there, you know, and some poignant moments about my father and family, of course, back in Australia. So... I'm so much looking forward to getting around the country and actually meeting all the fans and finally getting the show on the road. Because, of course, it was booked two years ago, but we couldn't do anything because of COVID. So it's just delightful that I'll get the opportunity to do that. And it's going to it's do one-nighters all around the country. And I've just moved to the East Midlands, so I'm doing um, places around here, like Leicester Curve, for instance, on the 1st of May, which I'm really looking forward to. Because I did Sister Act there, actually, and there's a bit, bit, bit in the show about... About sister act and when i was working with alexandra burke and seeing a couple of numbers from that show which would be great fun and uh yeah so it's gonna be cool to get back to leicester curb where uh sister act all began for me you know and uh and actually perform there myself so cool.
1: Very cool. So it doesn't kick off, it high kicks off uh, in March. We're in March already. (laughs) So uh, Thursday 24th, Town Hall in Cheltenham, and then I'll go through the dates. They're sort of uh, almost consecutive. Uh, There's a few dates missed out, but you can grab all the dates specifically at craigrevillehallwood.com. So you go in Cheltenham, and Peterborough, Grimsby, Oxford, Crawley, Dartford, that's uh, through to the end of March, from March um, Thursday, March 24th. Then April, you're looking at Bromley, Cardiff, Isle of Wight, Poole, Yeovil, Western, Super Wolverhampton, Northampton, Swindon, uh, Guildford, Bird Hayes, Hastings, Folkestone, Portsmouth, South End, High Wycombe, Stoke, on Trent Crew, and then into May, Leicester, Lancaster, Liverpool, Leeds, Sulphur, Baron Furness, Blackpool, etc., 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 darling.
3: Wow, it sounds exhausting. <laughs>
1: it does. I mean, you know, how fit will you have to get for it? How fit are you now? How does all, all that pan out having done it a thousand times before?
3: Well, I'm in training at the moment because I'm putting a bit of dance into the show as well. So just. You know, trying to lose the extra pounds, darling, that I had, you know, through COVID. (laughs) And uh, that that should fall off me, darling. That should drop off me, and uh, I'll be fit and ready for it. It'd be great fun. But I've got an accomplice on stage who's going to be playing the piano for me. My good friend, Ben Goddard, who I've directed in many shows before. So um, he's coming out of retirement to do that, which would be really good, because we're great mates. So we should have a real laugh on stage and provide everyone with the entertainment. I think that they deserve, darling, to get them out there.
1: I get it, I get it, I get it. And so um, have you you done the show yet at all? You know, when when, will you you have a full run through? No, I know you've not done it on stage, but have you done it yourself in front of people that you know and trust and love and say, you know, what do you think of this?
3: No, I've done it in front of the mirror so far, but I I am actually uh, going into rehearsals next week and I've got a two-week rehearsal period and then a couple of tryouts in front of an audience and I'll ask some questions, what they loved, what they hated, and then uh, open... Uh, the next, the following day after two tryouts in Cheltenham. And then, uh, and then we're on, darling. Good but I mean, it, some of it, Act Two is sort of pretty much improvised, which is going to be good fun. And um, Act One is sort of a real romp through uh, from when I was seven, actually, because I wrote a number when I was seven. I'm going to perform that for the first time ever, so that'll be interesting. <laughs>
1: awesome. know I've never talked to anybody post their appearance on The Mass Singer, and, of course, you wowed us all as Nickerbocker Glory. Um, yeah. A, how was that for you? And then I have a follow-up question that I've always wanted to ask somebody who's been on it, and this is my first chance to do so.
3: Yeah, well, uh, it was really frightening I've got to admit only because you're wearing a massive head you can't do any it's really difficult to do turns it's really difficult to see you can't hear properly so you're hampered from the beginning but a real challenge for me to do all that choreography in six inch heels a corset and a great big head on my 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 shoulders but uh I really loved it I really enjoyed it and it was great to get out there as a judge and be judged you know I thought it's about time I put my money where my mouth is you know and I think that's sort of what I'm doing with the one-man show really I'm just you know saying to people I don't just do Strictly Come Dancing you know that I really love performing and I love being on stage I'm singing I love dancing so uh it's going to be Cool right,
1: having worn a, a massive head on several occasions uh, on on <laughs> telly on t f i Friday and things like that, I know how hot it gets in there, but yet when the, when they after they 've taken it off, take it off, take it off, take it off, nobody 's sweating on the mass singer. How come
3: and because you have to go backstage you 've got to wait half an hour before you come back out right for the take it off section, and then they sort of double the length of time of that and by the time and I, I know other girls. Uh, that have been unmasked, go back and have their makeup touched up, their hair redone, and then you put... You, then you put a pretend different mask on so it doesn't mess your hair up. But I said, no, I want to stay exactly the same. So I was a sweaty mess underneath it. And plus, I was nervous. <laughs> and I just looked awful. And I thought, well, yeah, let's get a bit of you know, reality in this, darling.
1: <laughs> if you write another memoir, please call it Sweaty Mess.
3: Sweaty Mess, I will. <laughs> sweaty Messy.
1: That'd be great. Craig, I love you. Uh, love congratulations. You too, mate. Well done. Uh, the All Balls and Glitter Tour uh, hits today stage for the first um, uh, performance 24th of March, all the way through the 27th of May, craigrovelhorwood.com is where you need to go for tickets and I bet it's going to be awesome. I would love to go and see that.
3: It's going to be great.
1: All right. Cheers, Craig. Well done, my friend.
4: The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky.
5: Virgin Radio.
2: A lot of people play the guitar, but only some people really play the guitar. And our next guest is one of those people. His incredible new album, Fever Dreams, parts one to four is out now. So please welcome the guitar hero that never leaves you fretboard. It's the one and only Johnny Marr.
1: Morning, Johnny. Morning, Chris. Hi, everyone. Um, stick there, Dapper Dave, because uh, y- you're such a fan of Johnny Marr, I aren't am. you?
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, Johnny, uh, he said something very profound to me, Dave did,
2: before this interview.
1: Would you like to say it again?
2: That's kind of what I said there. Like, every- Anyone can pick up a guitar but only
6: very, very few people can get the sound out of a guitar. Do you know what you, he you means get. by that? Thank you, Dapper Dave. Um, yeah, when, when I was starting out and I had a bunch of mates, we're all a bunch of us were learning the guitar, which was great. Uh, it's in the late 70s. Um, back then, it was really important that you had a sound. One of the things uh, that was part of your thing was, you know, of one of the things you had to do. You had to learn certain chords. You had to be able to play certain riffs. There were there were things you needed to do. But part of it as well, it was just an understood thing that you develop. You had your own sound because uh, all the sort of greats did really. <laughs> it's
1: funny because you know whether you watched Stephen Grappelli when you were younger, or you watched like BB King, or you just talked about Chuck Berry. There, you know it was amazing to see people seemingly play a guitar with one finger or just the bar chord or, you know, tuned it differently, the open C tuning and things like that. And when you say a lot of your sound came to you, cause you were available for it, for it to happen, but you must've put some foundations in there. So how, oh, 100%, how, yeah. how did you, try, how did you try? First of all, um, give us like the top three signature sounds that inspired you. So who do you think, obviously Jimi Hendrix or people like that, or George Harrison, yeah. you, who may who may they have been that had their sound above and uh, over everyone else?
6: Um, well, first off, um, Mark Bowen, T-Rex. So if you were like 20th Century Boy or Metal Guru or any yeah, of those glam yeah, rock yeah. singles, that's always in me. Because
1: it's massive?
6: It's dramatic. Right. And it, yeah, it's big and it's audacious. It's quite simple. Um, and it's, just grabs you you know you wear yeah, that yeah. dog, that's what i learned to play um and
1: you're glad to be grabbed by it, aren't you you feel free
6: because oh, you feel yeah. looked after by that chord it's not about being exactly it's not about being clever it just it's simple music you know it's like really doo-doo-doo-doo, doo-doo-doo-doo. everyone yeah everyone in the world knows yeah, well,
1: that. And it's also it makes you feel like you know where you are with it yeah do you know what I mean yeah so dang dang all right we're on board okay yeah I'm yeah absolutely no problem with this whatsoever
6: yeah well I um <clears throat> those some of those riffs from being a kid you know like if you were 20th century boy down 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 see as you wear that like <laughs> you say you know where you are right yeah, 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 um and you know 15 10 years if I'd have been born 10 years Earlier, it would have been Jimi Hendrix, Voodoo Child, or, you know, uh, Purple Haze, or something like that. Another one for me would have been, um, I guess, uh, it would have been The Pretenders, James Honeyman Scott from The Pretenders. Like, you know, anything from that first album that he's playing on.
1: Yeah, yeah.
6: Beautiful guitar playing, absolutely great. And obviously, with, with that voice with Chrissy. Um, and then, I suppose. Do you know it was a big influence on me actually? As I get older, it was Sparks. This sounded big enough yeah. for the both of us because I was only eleven, and it just sounded—it jumped out of the out of the speakers. Um, you know, it was so audacious. This record—it was eccentric and bananas, but but you you could, but it wasn't really obscure. You know, it was a pop single.
1: So you just mentioned there—you said uh, you know uh, with a few pals, we learned we started to learn to play the guitar. Just just to. Speak to that a bit more. So, where was that? Who were who was around? How many guitars do you have between you? Where, was it after yeah. school? Was it playtime? Was it in your bedroom or what?
6: Well, so for me, I st- you know, look, I got this little toy guitar when I was about five. No one knows why I was so obsessed with this this thing, and um, and that was I used to carry that around this little wooden thing that I got from this shop that sold brooms and mops and all of that, and just. That was my toy. That was my main thing. No one told me about the guitar. I just loved it. And then, at around about eight or nine, got one that I could actually play tunes on. And then, I, so I started learning um "Jeepster" by T. Rex, and the B-side was called uh, "Life's a Gas." So I was starting to get chords together. But I was so obsessed with guitar culture that I remember that um it sounds a bit balmy, but even the word "chord," I thought was great. I love it. I even loved the word. I love it. I love. I was like oh I've got to look you know I've got to be able to do whatever that is and then as I say I moved from the inner city into the suburbs and uh, there just happened to be loads of young kids who was interested in the guitar one of them one of my mates who was a few years older Billy Duffy went on to be in the cult uh, so we grew up on the same house in the state and then me and my mates then so Billy was into say he was into Mick Ronson and Pete Townsend and we all had our specialist subjects you know Uh, but in my case it was I never had to be told to practice I had to be told to stop because I used to share a room with my little brother he was was a little little toddler when I was in my teens or 11 whatever and um, my mum was like it's 11 o'clock at night your little brother wants to go to sleep you know and my bedroom was like a laboratory I have to play these records and play along with it so I was entirely obsessed to the point where I left school at 15 because a bunch of adults they were in a band called Sister Ray in Manchester I think it's fair to say they were reprobates and um, and criminals, but they were a band, right, and they'd had a record out, which they might as well have been Led Zeppelin. They'd had a record out, yeah, right? Cool. Um, so they asked me to join, and I was 14, 15. They used to rehearse in a basement in this house in the Red Light District of Manchester, which in, in 1978, 79, for a 14-year-old was scary and exciting. So I used to go there three nights a week in this basement with these grown-ups and, and I learned to play at very loud volume there. They were really into the Stooges and punk. And that's that's what I did. I left school at 15. So when I formed the Smiths, when I got that going at 18, 19, even though it was very young, very, very young to have that kind of success, I felt like I'd had this apprenticeship, really, uh, from being 15 of... I played gigs and I slept around and i have been in bands with adults and older people who I was learning from. You know, one guy I was in a band with, he, he was an amazing writer. He, he never made it, sadly. Um, and um, so I, I would be in a band with him because I thought, I'm going to learn all these techniques and then I would be in another band. And another. And that's now I just do the grown-up version of that.
4: The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky.
5: Virgin Radio.
2: He went gangbusters in gangs of London. He was blind in Peaky Blinders and the hot streak continues. The brand new series, The Ipcris File, starts this Sunday at 9pm on ITV. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to raise the roof for the super sleuth that goes by the name of Joe Cole.
7: All right, Joe. Wow, what an intro. What an intro. <laughs> what speechless. was
1: harder, um, filming this these, these, uh, amazing six-part series for ITV or getting here this morning? Uh,
7: <laughs> getting here this morning wasn't easy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's getting more and more complicated. It isn't is. It? It's but, uh,
1: really, really complicated. And yesterday there was a tube strike. Today there isn't, but it looks like there is still.
7: Well, they just, uh, they've closed the tubes for I, several months t- and there's various things uh, going yeah, on. It's yeah,
1: crazy. Yeah. Anyway, Joe, the point is the Ipcrest file, your remake of this uh, with your pals at ITV uh, and your cast and the brilliant producers and writers is awesome. Congratulations. Thank you very much. We love it, mate. Thank you. All right. Um, as, as I say, we are pushed for time just because you've arrived so late. Not your fault whatsoever. So just literally tell us all about it. Tell us all about it. Uh, did you? You watched the original, uh, how long did you take to film, how much fun did you have, how cool was it, etc. Uh, yes, yeah,
7: so, I mean I, I did watch the original once I'd got the role and then realised very quickly that it's probably not the best thing to do and actually you know it's very, by osmosis, Michael Caine's performance starts seeping into you so right. it was uh, it was very much a case of switching that off. Right. And, uh, and doing our own thing with it you know we've got a great team behind it john hodge who wrote train spotting and and a load of other stuff um james watkins the director we have got tom hollander um lucy Watts, um lucy boynton and it's a um yeah it, it's it's six episodes we filmed it in croatia and liverpool and it you know it's it's transatlantic it's all over the world it's berlin it beirut the pacific islands fantastic. you know london it's Rome, you know, we're jumping all over the place, so yeah, it's, it's a real the, spectacle.
1: Even the check-in desk, you know, some of the scenes, you know, airport check-in desk scenes that are in it, you know, if you just pause that when you watch it and just just look at that, you just look at that for an hour without any script or you know uh, any action, yeah. it just looks so so good. Um,
7: yeah, the art direction and the and the you know the oh, costume, it's, it's just I feel like you know they've really they've really leveled up on this one. alright so which is great. for
1: people who don't know, who is Harry Palmer? Uh, where does this his story begin as far as the Christophiles is concerned, and what happens?
7: So he's he's in mil we find Harry in military prison. He's you know, been been involved with various unscrupulous people in uh in, in and around Berlin post the Cold War. And um yeah, he's been dealing in contraband and and A bit of ducking and, 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 diving. So of ducking and diving, weaving. And um he's approached by a special arm of British intelligence, um, because of these Rogans that he's been involved with, and and they want to use him as a spy um, to get involved in some espionage and and find out who these people are. So they basically conscript him, blackmail him, and um, and take him with them, and he has to work for the establishment. He's a working class guy um son of a docker with a first class degree in mathematics but he's um he and, and he and he's from the wrong side of the tracks um compared to the people he's working the for so it's quite cambridge, interesting
1: cambridge um
7: exactly the, the, the establishment and the yeah the oxbridge okay so
1: tom hollander plays um plays the man from mi5 uh, mm. and your some of your exchanges are so such you know from the council i like you just want to punch him, don't you? He's just like, yeah, I wanted to punch the TV screen. It's like Yeah, I mean it's he's, it's he's what I suppose the, the the what you the producers want to happen.
7: Yeah, I mean I think you know I think it was just great casting, you know. Tom was born to play that role in yeah, so many ways. And and, it. and and it was a really interesting dynamic. I kind of I sort of came in with some preconceptions about how I might want to do the role or how I might want to play the scene. And when you get into a room with a heavyweight like that. You can't fake anything. It's got to be completely truthful and real how did you in the change
1: moment. what you do for a living when you were two-handing
7: with him? Um, I mean, I just think when you when you when you're with great actors, it's it's you just don't try and pull any tricks. You just you just be honest and you just you just you react. You know, essentially, and that's why yeah, acting you is li- you just react. You listen and react, and it's. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe I was going to, I, I had this idea of maybe playing it with a bit more insolence or a bit more cockiness. And it's actually when you get in the room, it's like, just uh, just be real, you know. Yeah, and,
1: yeah, and take his lead almost.
7: Yeah, to an extent, yeah.
1: Almost. And he's so posh and he's
7: so dismissive and he's so annoying. <laughs> he's so good, isn't he? He's so good. I think people are going to love him.
1: Uh, it's absolutely awesome. Uh, so, do you know Michael Caine? Have you met him? No,
7: sadly not. You know, obviously, I'm a huge fan of his. He's, he's, a, he's a bit of a legend, isn't he? Um, but no, I haven't met him unfortunately. Because I mean, I mean, partly because of COVID, we're unable, unable to get anybody, you know, onto set or to meet anybody. So, um, unfortunately, not. I mean. I'd love to Maybe it would have I been great to me, usher
1: in him for a cameo role I, I bet that crossed the minds <laughs> I, the mean, I, I mean it would have been, and he would have been so up for it I, right? mean, I
7: mean yeah who knows I mean it would have been unbelievable but you know Covid scuppered us in that regard
1: yeah what did you think of living in the in the 60s
7: um, you know I love it you know, I, I'm fortunate enough in this, in this job to be transported to all sorts of decades and, 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 and worlds and for me you know i i i think i would have preferred to have grown up in that time i mean we're going through a lot at the moment um but just uh, just the simplicity some of the simplicity the lack of um social media mobile devices for me but the But got clo- to go back clothes, to the 60s for that no, but i know no, what you mean no probably yeah. the 80s would have but it's been it's very fine.
1: analog wasn't it it's all very analog Do you Yeah, know what I mean? and
7: i think that's that's something that we we crave as as viewers you know i think we really enjoy that um you know, uh, being transported to these worlds for so many of those reasons, yeah, um, yeah. and also it just translates so well to, to to a visual medium, television and film. If you don't have people, you know, on their phones. <laughs> the whole yeah. time or on the internet, you know.
1: Listen, so we're over time and we're out of time but stick around and we'll do some more time mm-hmm. together if that's right with you. Yeah, man, sounds good. All right, cool and we'll give. Uh, well, this means we give uh, the, the show another big plug on Friday. Listen, so we've got to go. See you tomorrow, 6.30 in the
4: morning. Don't be late. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky.
5: Virgin Radio.
2: He spent 186 days in space and has now decided to do something really challenging. Write a book for kids. His brand new children's novel Swarm Rising is out now so please welcome a man that. That gives a whole new meaning to hitting the space bar. It's the totally cosmic Tim Peake! Yeah! I
1: like the space bar if it's their morning, Tim! <laughs> Good morning, Chris. So, that's an interesting thing. It's an interesting little quantity that Dave poses there in his intro.
8: Which was more difficult, going <laughs> to space or writing a kid's book? I think writing a kid's book probably more scary. You know, yeah. They're going to be far more critical. Uh, but no, it's been absolutely brilliant. I, I've been writing it with Steve Cole, who's a, is a fantastic author, and we've had so much fun. Um, and I kind of came up with this concept driving on a camping holiday, and I was talking to my two young boys about, you know, going to write a children's book. And I get asked a lot about aliens and What do you think about aliens? Is there life out there? Um, And I do. I do think there's life out there. But, you know, if it's ever going to make it to Earth, I don't think it will be as little green people travelling in spacecraft. I think they'll be coming as a digital signal. So that inspired the whole thought for Swarm Rising. Let's just dive into that. How come you have that perspective on the potential of alien life or, or communication? Well firstly for alien life just because of the scale of the universe I mean you think how many planets there are just in the Milky Way we've got 200 billion stars that's one small galaxy amongst you know 200 trillion in the universe so you magnify that there's got to be life out there and life actually evolved on earth pretty quickly you know and and we think there's loads of water there's uh, all sorts of building blocks the elements of life are out there in the universe so I think life exists but the scale is the problem vast distances and so if you're going to get anywhere in the universe you've got to go fast and the fastest that we know that we can travel is the speed of light and to go at the speed of light you've got to go digital
1: you've got to go digital baby <laughs> um so since we last talked what's the most exciting thing that's happened in the world of space
8: oh there's loads happening it's a really is a kind of new era of exploration um so we're breaking out a low earth orbit we're going back to the moon So we've been busy um, building the spacecraft, the landing systems, the habitation modules. Uh, This is going to be an ultimately to set up sort of permanent research stations on the lunar surface. But it's going to happen, you know, relatively slowly over the next few years in terms of uh, exploration missions. The first one will be uncrewed going off this year. And then we hope to have uh, the second one, which will be not landing on the surface, but going around the moon, a bit like Apollo 8 did. And then the third Artemis mission will be boots on the moon again. So really exciting. You know, we're hoping to see that within about five to 10 years. How involved might you be? Uh, <laughs> my hand is high in the air. I mean, yeah, getting a getting a, a lunar mission—that is the absolute dream. But uh, no, in, in all likelihood, those missions will probably fall to the the next generation of, of European space agency astronauts, along with you know our NASA colleagues and international space station. Well, never partners. say but never. Never say never. Is there, I, is there a chance? Um, do you know, well, we are part of the European Space Agency. Absolutely. So, so yes, there's a there is a chance.
1: We had a little story earlier on in the week about um, a Shetland Isle uh, applying
8: for planning permission for a space station. That's right, yeah. So in the UK it's really exciting because we're hoping to launch into orbit this year and we'll be the first European country to do that, you know, for, from British soil and, and go into orbit. So that's great. That'll be small satellite launches. These aren't crewed launches. Scotland makes a good choice for that because, you know, you're launching into a polar orbit, so out over the North Sea and off you go. Uh, so and good. also Spaceport <laughs> Cornwall is uh, is another contender for that down in UK.
1: See, I, you, I know you know you're you're on because you've been in space, but it's still, you are, I mean, you are so, you really, Live this, don't you? and you—you know—to transmit it, you, you have to—you have to have it, don't you, in order to you
8: know. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I don't know anybody who's working in the space industry who isn't, you know, truly passionate about what they're doing. So
1: cool, man. So cool.
8: Right, back to the book. Vassos, you picked up on this last
1: night. Uh, It wasn't going so well, your pitching of this particular book, until you
5: played your ace card. What was that? So here's how the conversation went with seven-year-old Mary last night. I read her a bedtime story. It's sort of my favourite time of the day, and we're in the middle of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. So she sort of, she brought that up from her school bag, and I said, Mary, do you want to just take a break from Harry Potter and read this new book. Um, And it was... I didn't have a copy. I've got a copy now. I didn't have a copy yesterday. It was on my phone. It was on an email called Swarm Rising. And uh, she went, no. And I went, it's by an astronaut, an actual astronaut. She went, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Go on, then. (laughs) And we started reading it. And it's so funny, Tim. It's... I mean... She said, you know, is he really an astronaut or is he a comedian? Because, (laughs) you know, every, every line, I mean, the embarrassing mum, the other thing she said, I love the embarrassing mum. She goes, the mum's really embarrassing, isn't he, daddy? And I went, yeah, she's a bit like, and I thought she was going to say like my mummy, but she didn't. She went like you daddy <laughs> oh, no. but it's lovely it's
8: so well let's frame the story frame the story for yep. us Tim if you don't mind so yeah so so this digital signal arrives on earth and it actually ends up going to um, a teenage lad called Danny and he's got his best love friend it. Jamila love it and Danny and Jamila kind of have to work out what is this where is it coming from what do they want um, and also you know where's the story going from so it's an action-packed adventure um, and it's also a little bit thought-provoking
1: let's just give the book another big shout out and then we'll talk about the potentially the title of the second one.
5: They're coming. Swarm Rising. Astronaut Tim Peake and best-selling author Steve Cole. Honestly, I didn't think it would be for my seven-year-old daughter, but she absolutely loved it. She was fascinated by the fact that there could be aliens out there. They, she was fascinated by how they're going to make contact. She loved the funniness and, yes, she was utterly All right, do do we have a whisper
1: of the title of the second or do you want to keep that under wraps? That
8: is Swarm Enemy,
4: the second one.
1: All right, love it. Okay, all right, Tim, great to see you again, man. Thank you so much, Chris. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Bazos. Thank you, Rachel.
4: The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky.
5: Virgin Radio.
1: All right, we've heard from some top-tier guests already, but still to come best-selling author, Vanessa Van Edwards. She's amazing. She joined us live from Austin, Texas, uh, to talk about her new book with loads of tips on cues mastering the secret language of charismatic communication. She is honestly as good as it gets. Scottish rockers Franz Ferdinand take a trip down memory lane with their new greatest hits album, Hits to the Head, and their upcoming UK tour. And fun guy, mushroom expert Merlin Sheldrake turns the pages on his mind-blowing book, Entangled Life how fungi make our worlds change our minds and shape our future. All right, let's get right back to it. Dappy Dave, who's next?
2: If you want people to pay the right kind of attention, then listen closely as our next guest knows all the tricks of the trade. Her new book, Cues, Small Signals, Incredible Impact, is out today. So face your palms out, maintain eye contact, tilt your head, and welcome the recovering awkward person that is Vanessa Van Edwards. Good morning, Vanessa.
0: I'm so excited to be here. Thanks (laughs) for having me. It's
1: great to have... uh, conversation based uh, mostly, for the most part, uh, to do with non-verbal communication, but on the radio.
0: And vocal. Remember, vocal is the secret,
1: cue. I get it, I get it, I get it. We've got to say, your Zoom setup, which we can all see, but not many other people can, is so non-verbally, communicatively... um, right up there you have got it all going on haven't you
0: thank you and i also was palms out i love that introduction you know a a palm is the best part of the body i think it's the most underrated body part, don't you, Paul? Yeah, well, now you come to
1: mention it, probably yes. I'm not quite sure. I've thought about it as much <laughs> as, you, as you have. But you've written this brilliant book, which has definitely piqued our interest in things that we get involved in a lot from an interview point of view because obviously we see how guests are in interviews and we try and make them more at ease. And we, because it's a, a light entertainment show, we don't want them to be ill at ease. And you can see, you know, even in a in an interview situation like ours, you know, we're, we're not grilling the, the major politicians of the world. You can still see when you, you've, sort of, you've sort of hit a soft spot and you, we, you know, it's, it's not really where we want to go unless it's emotionally sort of endearing or inspiring for our audience.
0: Mm. Yeah, the, the, I always say that there's the nonverbal sign for a sweet spot is the eyebrow raise. The eyebrow raise is a universal sign of, oh, I like that. That's curious. You know, if someone raises their eyebrows at you, it shows they're interested. So you, you know that you've hit a soft spot. If someone raises their eyebrows, it means they're open. They're at home.
1: Yeah, and I love the fact that you spend, you know, a lot of time on each of these, what's, what could be seemingly insignificant uh, nonverbal cues, physical cues, as you were. Uh, let's skip to the middle of the book and then we'll go back to the beginning, if that's all right. It doesn't all matter right. which order we're going. Yeah. So, So when and why might we want to lean in,
0: Vanessa? Oh, okay. So this is a really interesting cue. So a lot of people think, you know, if we just show a a nonverbal cue, so nonverbal cues are body language, facial expressions, and gestures. Leaning in is actually an activation cue. And something interesting, if you're willing to try this with me, everyone who's listening, whether you're standing or seated, if you could just lean in just about one to three inches, lean in a little bit, hold it for a second, (laughs) That activated a small part of your brain. And the reason for this is because it activates our five senses. We want to smell something better. We lean in, want to hear something better, see something better, taste something we lean in. And they found that this cue gets us ready. So... When you're speaking to someone, you can actually show engagement or agreement by leaning in and you can spot if someone's really into what you're saying, if they just give you that little, those few inches, it's kind of an incredible little activation. Yeah. And also if you lean
1: in, I just did it then. If I lean in, I tend to sense the beginnings of a smile as well,
0: because you, yeah. you want to do it, don't you? Yes. Yes. So it's funny because there are cues that act- activate different feelings. And so if you're motivated, it makes you want to smile. It makes you want to make eye contact, which is exactly... Exactly what you want to do in interaction. So if people, so I'm, as you mentioned in the intro, I'm a recovering awkward person. So <laughs> I I, I always, I used to feel very overwhelmed by social inter- information, by social interactions. Adding some of these cues is sort of a secret side door into feeling a little bit more confident. So if, if if you're like, I don't know what to say, sometimes the nonverbal can help you get there. A little bit of a secret side door.
1: One of the most, um, uh, what's the word? Um, I, I, the, the chapters that I love the most in the book. That's not. That's not what I want to say. What is it? Uh, I want to
0: help. I want to help. Um, Give me a hint. The, the, the most
1: a hint. Uh, confirmation bias affirming chapters in the book for me was uh, when you just out of nowhere, I turned the page with. How to negotiate to buy a car is like, oh, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> and lots of people, amateurs, remember amateurs who are buying anything are dealing with professionals who sell everything, you know, on a daily basis. You know, you can be forgiven for making the mistake of being too cagey. It's, it pays to be completely the opposite, completely
0: open. Speak to that if you don't mind, Vanessa. Yes. Okay. So you're right. The rookie mistake in negotiation is hiding your cards, trying to play it cool, trying to mute. This is also, we, we talk about poker in the book. Same thing. Muting is a cue in itself. You're actually better off showing all of your cards. And I like to negotiate non-verbally. So what I mean by this is I want your non-verbal to speak for you because people typically don't like pauses. So here's what I, what I want you to do in your, in your next negotiation for whatever that is. And by the way, this can even be negotiating with your partner for where you want to go to dinner, negotiating with your kiddos. I have a toddler. These negotiation tips work great with toddlers as well, or toddlers to parents. If we have any toddlers listening <laughs> So uh, what I want you to do is uh, this is one of my favorite cues. It's called a lower lid flex. Are you ready for a lower lid flex? This is the smallest cue, but it it is so impactful. So when you're trying to see more, oftentimes we widen our eyes and surprise or fear. When we're trying to see detail, we harden our lower lid. So try this with me. If you harden your lower lid, you'll begin to feel feel like you're scrutinizing, (laughs) like you're looking at something very closely. This is is what someone does when they're like, "Mm, I don't know if this is worth it. I don't know. We harden our lower lids. It's a precursor to suspicion. And research has found that when we harden our lower lids, our brain is going from just listening to scrutinizing. So if you're negotiating and you don't like the price or uh, you don't believe that payment plan, or you're not sure of that, you can harden your lower lid, look right at them and wait. This is a way of saying, ah, I don't know about that. Can you do better? And it speaks for you. So for all my introverts, these cues actually can help speak for you, which is kind of a nice, nice little side effect. Silly fun side note about that lower lip flex. Um, If you've ever seen the movie Zoolander uh, when he does Blue Steel, remember that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So supposedly that came from Richard Branson um, uh, would always uh, on the, I'm sorry, Pierce Brosnan. Why did I think Richard Branson? Probably because I saw Virgin. Pierce Brosnan (laughs) whenever. That was a total association. Pierce Brosnan, (laughs) whenever he takes the red carpet, if you ever see Pierce Brosnan, he always hardens his lower lid in a smize. He always hardens his lower lid. And this is because we love when men flex their lower lid because it makes them look intense. And so you'll notice when men are trying to look attractive in a picture, they'll harden that lower lid and all it's right. a signal of intensity. Okay,
1: that's what we're doing all day today, Vasos. Yep, all absolutely. right. <laughs> Vanessa, we got to go. If people want to hear the Shark Tank story or read about it, uh, get the book, uh, that's what you should do. Vanessa Van Edwards, bestselling author of Captivate, with this brilliant new book called "Key: Small Signals, Incredible Impact. Give our love to Austin, Texas. Thank you so much for getting up at half past three in the morning to talk to us. It's now four o'clock there and ten o'clock here. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've been awesome, really awesome.
4: The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky.
1: Virgin Radio. All right, Franz Ferdinand with us live this morning. Alice Kapranos is here, and Robert Hardy on bass, and Julian Curry on guitars and keys and vocals, and Dino Bardot on guitars and vocals, and Audrey Tate smashing the drums at the back there. Let's hear it for Audrey. Woo! Awesome, 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 awesome. So, what are we? Twenty years,
9: 20th, 20th anniversary. Yeah, like since our first gig. Yeah, yeah. it's it's kind of crazy.
1: It is crazy. H- has it been? You know, uh, a lot of bands that come up here. You know, often thirtieth anniversary. You know, sometimes a bit more. You're you're sort of fledglings as far as this show is <laughs> concerned. You're you're still in the whippersnapper category. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
9: that's 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 funny. Yeah,
1: because. Um, it's not funny for me. Uh, <laughs> it's really sad. Um, but because you are sort of greatest hits in, in a way, that mm. sort of gives us permission to go back a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, why but, not? Yeah. So how did your mum and dad meet? <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, a disco, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Uh, they'll listen to the suite. <laughs> uh, we, took, we were talking about your name before. I know it's a, it's a question you've been asked like one million times, if not more. Uh, but of course, you were named after a horse who was named after the, the Archduke. Did the horse ever win anything?
9: I you know, I never found out because I never watched the end of the race. Was it just I, one I, race? I, well, I, I, was, I was watching the telly and uh, the Channel 4 horse racing was on. And there was this horse called the Archduke. And... Yeah, I lost interest in the race. And just thought, oh, yeah, that's a great name for a band. Let's get a poster together.
1: <laughs> well, t- I was going to ask you about the actual font of the... Because I know you've been asked about the, the name loads, but the graphic design, because I know you love the alliteration of Franz Ferdinand. It just yes, sounds, it's yes. just a cool name anyway, yeah, isn't it? You know, and then historically extremely important, et cetera, et cetera. So this So it has a story anyway. It's cool. If you haven't heard of the Archduke, you think, Who's, who are these dudes, Franz Ferdinand? Is it the lead singer? Whoever it is. It's got a bit of a modern-day intrigue to it, uninformed modern-day intrigue. but the, the f- the the graphic design is awesome who who did that
9: well it's, it's good. we all worked on it together really uh, Dino here uh, helped work us on, work on, the, yeah. <laughs> on on the on the cover <laughs> of the hits to the head uh, but yeah we took a lot of uh, inspiration from Dada and the the Russian constructivists all like you kind know, of early twentieth century art it's also cool um, fast forward to
1: 2015 2016 so you, you don't just like Sparks you're not just inspired by Sparks there's that amazing two and a half hour documentary made about Sparks recently we had the director on to talk about it um, you know he's a
9: lifelong fan but then you audaciously make an
4: album with them <laughs> yeah
9: it was, it was, we bumped into them in San Francisco well, hang on a minute. <laughs> what do you mean you bumped
1: into them in San Francisco how does that well, happen well,
9: well, it happened because um, I'd broken a tooth and uh, I was looking for a dentist and I couldn't find the dentist and I heard this voice over the road going Alex is is that you and uh, it was Ron Mail from Sparks and we got chatting went to that gig that night and uh, said oh because we'd met them about ten years earlier and they said oh let's let's do some tunes so we start sending each other songs and before we knew it we had an album Uh, are you still loving it I guess you are oh yeah Playing a the best thing in
3: the world. Well,
1: because, yeah. you know, I was watching some interviews last night, old interviews getting me in the mood for, for talking to you today and seeing you again, which I couldn't wait to do. Um, and it was just great. I love, I love all, doing all that stuff. And I was, I was watching, actually, the Ed Temple Morris interview you backstage a few years ago at one of the, I think it's a festival in Scotland, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And um, you were talking about the fact that, you know, uh, It's really important that you get on with the people you're in a band with. (laughs) (laughs) I
9: know it's stating the obvious, but but hang on a minute. But sometimes the obvious has to be stated, doesn't it? Yeah, and sometimes it's not the case in bands as well. I mean, you know, you see it at festivals sometimes when, when the bands start arriving in different cars, you know, they're kind of a bit, yeah, they're not really doing the right thing.
1: Yeah, well it's when they arrive in the same car and they leave in separate cars. <laughs> I've seen that a few times as well. Never to be seen again. <laughs> yes. be. But you really love it, don't you?
9: Yeah, it, it, it is. It's great. It's amazing. And, and particularly now, because um, uh, we, we did the, a, a little gig recently in Dunfermline and not after having played for such a long time, Yeah oh, the, the the buzz that you get and the adrenaline as you walk back on stage, there's nothing in the world that comes near it.
1: And I know you've sort of played differently depending on where you are around the world. You know, Japan's audiences are different from, say, Central European audiences. North America's different as well. What is it like at 8 o'clock in the morning in front of <laughs> us Muppets?
9: It's funny because, like, the thing is, you kind of come in and you think, oh, man, like, like, I can't believe I'm up at this time. And then as soon as you start playing, it's just like adrenaline is, like, running through your system and you feel m- more awake than ever and it's great like it's yeah it's a great buzz
1: and i know you like to do things differently and you say you know you try and be different but actually the best way to try and be different is not try and just be different in the first place it's much easier when you're younger for all of us than it is when you get older it just is it's, it comes more naturally to you but i've you know if you really feel like that and i know you do and I'm, when you play that song at 528 this morning you're like, what the wtf plus plus man you know 3.0 and all yeah. that I thought, this, you could be the first ever band. I dare you, I dare you, Franz Ferdinand, to do a breakfast tour, but it's <laughs> full on. Oh, but it's full on. Right, so you just take the PM hours and you just put right. them AM. So if right. doors open at 7 PM, they open at 7 AM, bar opens at 7 AM. It's just the, <laughs> I dare, the Franz Ferdinand breakfast club tour. I'm in, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, I've I, I got to think about it. <laughs> See, now, that, now, hang on a minute, how old
9: are you now, Al? Uh, I'm 49.
1: Right, so the 29, Alex Cabranos, wouldn't
9: have thought about it. And no, no, the, no, he that's... wouldn't have been able to get out of bed. <laughs>
1: he wouldn't have gone to bed, my friend. Oh yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so next Friday, uh, what, what is, how is that going to manifest? Is that going to be a celebration, a launch, are you going to have a bit of fun around that one or what?
9: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a celebration. It's part of the launch of the record. Um, uh, what's the name of the guys that do it again? Uh, Bob's going to come over and speak to the microphone, because I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure the record track. Is, is it, well, Banquet's on Thursday, but then we're playing Concord 2 in Brighton All right. on Friday. And tickets go to sell at 10 a.m. today. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on a minute. There's That's a lot amazing. more than Alex knew. Let me tell you. It totally is. Like, like Bob's the organised guy in the band. Like, get I'm, out of I'm here. Obviously not.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, so, so the point is go to franzferdinand.com today at 10 o'clock and you might get to go to a really great gig on the South Coast. Yeah. In the next seven days yeah. and somewhere else before that.
9: Uh, yes. Um, uh, Bob will tell you again. He's just told us. He just told us. Yeah, I think it's sold out. Oh, oh, right, right. All
1: well, right. Well, the po- look, get what you can while you can. Uh, when Ferdinand tickets uh, go on sale, there are no crumbs left on the table, people. <laughs>
4: The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky.
5: Virgin Radio.
2: You might have them for your breakfast, but they're so much more powerful than that. His debut book, Entangled Life, How Fungi Makes Our Worlds Change Our Minds and Shape Our Futures, is out now. So if you ever wanted to know fung we've got just the fungi. Let's say fung-hi to Merlin Sheldry! Very good, day. Very good. Good morning, Merlin.
10: Morning, Chris.
2: Morning. How are
1: you?
10: I'm doing very well, thanks. Glad to be here.
1: All right, it's great to have you on. I've heard you on many podcasts um, over the last uh, couple of years. Uh, Here we go, straight into the book, Entangled Life. It is awesome. Many of the most dramatic events on Earth have been and continue to be a result of fungal activity. Discuss, Merlin.
10: It's a big discussion. Um, One of my favourites is that plants, um, the ancestors of plants, wouldn't have made it out of the water and onto the land about 500 million years ago. If it wasn't for their relationships with, with fungi, which, uh, which behaved as their root systems, which grow in and around their bodies and uh, wove their way into the soil and forage nutrients and water for them from the soil. Um, and so all plants descend from this relationship with fungi. The whole history of life on land is in many ways a history of fungal relationships.
1: It's awesome is what it is. Um, it's not really mind-melting, it's just mind owing uh, this book, and mushrooms in general. Uh, give us a uh, top three, top five, whatever you like, uh, top one, two, or four, uh, things that we deploy mushrooms for here on planet Earth, other than just eating, that are very useful to us.
10: Well, there are so many. So, I mean, every time you interact with a plant, whether or not you're growing a plant or eating a plant, you're eating the outcome of fungal relationship. So that's uh, quite a lot of the... Uh, materials and the uh, energy that is around you and in you right now. Then there are also uh, drugs. Penicillin is a really good example of a drug produced by a fungus. Um, the fungus produces penicillin to defend it from bacteria, but we could then re-harness that um, substance, penicillin, uh, use it within our bodies to defend ourselves from bacterial infection. This drug Changed the course of modern medicine. And there are many others, there are cyclosporins, which make organ transplants possible. There are the cholesterol-lowering statins. There's alcohol, which is produced by a yeast, which is a fungus. There's psilocybin, the active ingredient in our magic mushrooms. Um, there are so many fungal drugs and so many fungal drugs yet to be discovered that, uh, that can change our lives and societies in uh, unimaginable ways um but there are also materials building materials that people are starting to develop um using fungi um building materials that can be grown uh, on waste products from agriculture uh, that will decompose when their job is done um and this might revolutionize um both building and also fashion because you can make a kind of leather like material from um from this fungus <laughs> Mushroom, so there are many Many more I could go on.
1: No, and you do go on in the book, and it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I mean, that what a list that is, just just straight off the bat there. Um, tell us about uh, mushrooms versus, or maybe in parallel with uh, seaweed, because there's, there's, there is now aquaculture, you know, um, on, on the seabeds, and for an aqua farmer to rent aqua um square footage it's a lot cheaper than you know um uh, farmland on terra firma here and i hear that seaweed could be one of the sort of super powers or, or miracles gifted to us by nature that could help us save ourselves from ourselves and mushrooms may be up there as a bedfellow of seaweed
10: that's right. The, the joke in um, the joke among fungal nerds is there's always a fungus behind the scene, and and so it is the case with seaweeds. And seaweeds have relationships which with fungi, which grow in and around their cells, and uh, allow them to survive being um, dried out on seashores for half the day. And the temperature and moisture extremes of living on a tide line is. Um, is quite extreme so lots of um lots of seaweeds depend on fungi and and uh, their relationship goes back a very long way
1: okay so that's uh deep down um to the to the bottom of the ocean let's go as far away from that not as far away from that but pretty pretty far uh, far away uh let's go mu- to mushrooms in space which we got very excited about earlier on um during the program after reading your book last night so mushrooms in space next please merlin <laughs>
10: Well, fungi are really um, tough. Some of them are very tough. And not all of them, but some of them. Uh, And people have done experiments, astrobiologists who studied life in space, have done experiments where they take fungi and fungal uh, organisms like lichens, which are part fungus, and they take them and they have them outside um, the International Space Station in special trays, which are called the exposed facility. And this allows them to put biological samples in the harsh Uh, extreme conditions of space and see what happens to them and um, these lichens are able to they dry out instantly because there's a vacuum in space Uh, but then they are able to withstand the searing radiation the temperature extremes from minus 150 to plus 150 uh, and back again in 24 hours all of this bombardment um, and then when you bring them back to earth you can rehydrate them and they get on with their lives more or less unharmed and so um this has led these astrobiologists to wonder uh, whether or not fungal organisms could travel in a kind of suspended animation state um, from planetary body to planetary body.
1: Rachel was fascinated by the fact that some mushroom spores um, are ejected at 10,000 times the speed of a space shuttle at launch, and she would like to know how you measure that.
10: (laughs) Uh, Well, super high-speed cameras that you um, you can film something on and um, you know exactly how much you're slowing it down by and you can see exactly how far it's traveling in how much time
1: merlin congratulations on a great book you completely you obviously you're fascinated um by mushrooms you you are immersed in mushrooms and um, do you have any do you have time for any other interests or hobbies or are you mushrooms
10: all the way well you know chris the nice thing about fungi is that they're, they're always living their lives entangled wrapped around other organisms mm. always interacting other organisms so that the longer you follow a, a fungal theme or a fungal story um you're going to bump into something else after a while and so actually i find fungi keep me broad keep me interested in other things too because i have to be interested in where they are and what they're doing and who they're relating with and who are all these other uh, fascinating humans trying to understand them so um actually yeah, a fungal interest steers me into uh, many more interests than I have time for. All
1: oh, right, I should have this somewhere. I do have this here, uh, MerlinSheldrake.com. Uh, you can go uh, to Merlin's website to find out more about mushrooms. Do you do courses? Do you do re- mushroom retreats? Are you involved in all that stuff?
10: I don't, but there are many people who do, um, and so uh, I do urge you to go on a, a, a foraging course uh, before going out and um, just picking what you find. Um, and there are lots of um, there are lots of wonderful uh, options to do that.
1: All right, Merlin, thank you so much for your time. Um, Sorry about uh, your failed commute to come and see us in person, but you're welcome and you have an open invitation uh, should you want to do that again in the future.
4: Wonderful, Chris. Thanks so
10: much. It's been a pleasure.
1: uh, Okay, there you go. What a book.
4: What a guy. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky.
5: Virgin Radio.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast. And you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky.